very, very important topic. Then if you help all of us here to open up our hearts and our minds tonight to you, to learn from you, to hear from you, and to be changed by by this week, to to sanctify this week. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. And then I want to tell a story about uh, Tuesday. So, Tuesday was my birthday, 72. And I uh, figure I'm about two thirds there. So, I only, only have a few years left. Yeah. Um, and. Britta had been waiting. Britta's my son Andrew's wife. Been a um, week and a half overdue. Overdue, you know what's overdue, but overdue the time that they thought the baby would maybe come. And so by the afternoon, they were discouraged. And I went over to their house. And I had a word, do not be discouraged. And somehow that word encouraged Britta because I'd felt the Lord had said to me in that morning that the baby was coming that day on my birthday. Because Andrew is the firstborn. He was having his firstborn son. I was my dad's firstborn. I thought, that'd be really, really neat to have a baby on the birthday. That baby. They're all special, of course. And so it didn't look like it. It was evening. It was 10 o'clock at night, and not a lot was happening. And I was wondering, did I hear wrong? Back to hearing from God. Did I hear wrong? So at 10, was it 10, 10? 10, 10? At 10? No. When the water, water broke, 10-10. Okay, 10 o'clock, the water broke. And so that really upgraded our prayers. And then we, then we just, it was pretty much nonstop after that. We were praying, okay, Lord, okay, okay, come on, come on, come on. 12 minutes later, the baby comes. And, and Erica's there, and she texts us, water broke. Baby here. <laughs> so, really, a, it was a wonderful, wonderful birthday. So, I'm going to share with you a, a blog that I wrote, and I made a bunch of copies here because I, uh, there's a lot of response to this because the theme was, to marry or not to marry. You picked a good night to come. You read it? Okay. And uh, and so I, I want to read it because it, it will help to set the tone for what I'm talking about here, about single life and married life. So we've got a married couple. We've got a couple moving toward marriage. And we've got a couple that just zinged out to have a honeymoon. To marry or not to marry? Paul said not. I wish that all men were as I am. What was he? It is good for them, unmarried, to stay unmarried as I am. Many are single, but not for Paul's reason. They want marriage, and it isn't happening. We have urged young men to get married, and for good cause. Many are passive and overestimated ministry and underestimated marriage. I'm, we're going now, right? We're on. 
We have not held out the good option of choosing the single life. Catholics, far more than Protestants, have offered that choice. You understand? You know about that, right? About the single life. It has brought great gain and great loss. Celibacy is a gift, not a mandate. Some can, others can't, or at least don't. Paul presented the option to those who could, adding that it is better to marry than to burn with passion. What do people do who want to be married and the fire threatens to get out of control? This is a tough one. Paul has just told married people not to deprive each other except by mutual consent. For married couples not to deprive each other except by mutual content, consent so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Singles do not have that privilege. No easy answer, but abstinence is the only alternative, period. I have yet to work with a young adult who speaks about having the gift of celibacy. Anyone here feel you have the gift of celibacy? Well, still proves. I, I haven't met that person yet. I, I believe there are. And I, I did as a young adult. I met some. The church should help singles, whatever their age, to walk toward marriage and counsel them at every step. It can be extremely hard for some men to take this step and painfully difficult for women to wait while the age of marriage in our culture continues to rise, as well as the number who never marry. Do you think there are more singles or couples? Adults. Nineteen seventy-six, thirty-seven percent were singles. Two thousand sixteen, fifty-one percent. So now, now they're in the majority. Whatever their age, to walk toward marriage. The distressing thought of single women, with every passing day that they may never marry, is both realistic and horrendous. Paul, a stellar example that living single can work well, or Jesus speaks about the advantage of singleness. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. Likewise, the unmarried woman. Bottom line, he says, I'm saying this, that you may live in undivided devotion to the Lord. And whether single or married. And he gives the edge to the unmarried. Then the church should value the unmarried, invite them over, acknowledge how much they have to contribute, receive it gratefully, never treat them as second stringers or less important, challenge them to be exceptional rather than just waiting. Singles, please forgive us or we have failed. I have told reluctant men who seem distracted by ministry that marriage is ministry and that they should not put off marriage for ministry. On the other hand, we need also to tell singles devoted to serving the Lord, like I know many single women who have been champion missionaries, that their ministry may be their marriage. They have lived with that undivided devotion. We must honor them as heroes and set their example up as something to emulate if God or circumstances lead that way. We're living singly as a choice and not an undesirable outcome. It can serve as a standard for others to consider. We don't want to over-spiritualize marriage. While it is the norm, it is not God's plan for everyone. As a young pastor, I connected with young Catholic charismatic leaders who had chosen to live singly for the Lord. They were healthy and happy. And their example encouraged other young men to consider that option. May married couples preach the gospel in their love for one another, and may singles, especially those called to the single life, teach us how to live with uncompromising passion for the Lord. So I've put these over here, and if you know somebody that could benefit from that, I, I'm writing a blog, uh, a word for singles, in about a week. So uh, Paul, pastorpaulanderson.com. So I'm going to talk from 1 Corinthians 7. We need Bibles. Hi, Tim. There are Bibles right above you. If you can grab those. Everybody needs a Bible. There's one here. If everybody uh, can have... Uh, here is, here, here's a bunch of Bibles. So everybody, everybody needs one. Thank you. Open it up to 1 Corinthians 7. 
You know that in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul speaks more about the single life than any other place in the scriptures. He also talks about marriage in 1 Corinthians 7. So we're going to get a running start. Why did Paul write the letter of 1 Corinthians? Because there were two reasons. He had heard from a lady named Chloe that he talks about in chapter 1 that there was a terrible things going on in Corinth at this church. Terrible things. Terrible division. People were saying, well, I like Paul. I like Apollos. And they were divided up into factions. They, they didn't like each other. Uh, they couldn't get along. Paul called them worldly. And when we think of worldly, sometimes we think in, in a sexual terms. But it was just that they were immature. They were taking each other to court. They were suing each other. And there was incest among Christians. Problems. And then chapter 7, I want you to look at this now. Open it up to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Now, for the matters you wrote about. So this is the second reason. He's going to tell them, he's going to give them answers to the questions they asked. Now for the matters you wrote about. And then he says, it is good for a man not to, in my translation, not to marry. What are some other, any other translations that anyone have? Good for a man. Okay. That's the literal, not to touch. That's the literal, so that's in, interpreted mean not to have sexual relations or not to, to marry. But since there is so much immorality, Corinth was known. It had a reputation. If you wanted to call somebody a, a derogatory term, you'd call them a Corinthian. That's what Corinth was. It was a seaport. It was a big city, second to Athens. And it was a big city, and it was corrupt. But since there is so much immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. So we'll talk first about marriage and then we'll talk about this single life. Looking at our notes here, marriage can fulfill the mandate to be fruitful and multiply the way God provided to keep the race going. When did he say that? What chapter in the Bible does that occur in? Right from the beginning. One of the first things he said, you look at chapter 1 of Genesis, and it says, So God created man in his image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them, and God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Isn't that something that God made something really wonderful that keeps the race going, keeps us prolific? Second thing, marriage is the proper atmosphere for physical love. And he says, there's so much immorality, best to get married. So it's almost a concession. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, likewise the wife to her husband. The wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to her husband. In the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also to his wife. So that's the atmosphere. Physical love finds its expression in married life. But marriage is enhanced by periodic restraint. Read verse 5. Do not deprive each other except by mutual consent for a time, so that you may devote yourself to prayer. Then come together again, so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So that can strengthen. Saying no for a period of time 
can actually strengthen your relationship, but then you come back together. Fourth, marriage is a gift from God. Verse 7, I wish that all men were as I am, single. So he's, he's saying that pretty strong. He's saying, I am single, I have the gift, and I'm thankful for it, and I wish that you were like me, but each man has his own gift from God, so that marriage is a gift as well. It's the gift, it's the norm. The center of gravity is with marriage rather than the single life. That's what keeps the race going. Each man has his own gift from God. One has this gift, another that gift. How long is marriage for? Marriage is for life. He says in verse 10 to 13, to the married I give this command, not I, but the Lord, a wife must not separate from her husband, but if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and the husband must not divorce his wife. Turn back to Matthew chapter 9, where Jesus is talking to the disciples, and they actually shock, he, he shocks them at this time, you'd be surprised to know that marriage uh, could be dissolved fairly easily. They had a, 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 an outlook toward marriage, toward divorce, that was, uh, it was too easy to get a divorce. And so Jesus is talking to them about that. Verse 7, why, uh, chapter 19 of Matthew, why then? They asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus said, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard, but it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman commits adultery. Notice what the response of the disciples is now. Look at the next verse. They're shocked. Really? You're stuck. You're so stuck, they say, well, if that's a situation, it's better not to marry. Because you can't get out of it. Jesus was, Jesus was saying, this is for life. And they got the point. And Jesus gives an interesting answer. Jesus replied, not everyone can accept that word. It's better not to marry. And he says, some people can't accept that word. In other words, some people are ungifted, are not able not to marry. Marriage is for most people because most people do not have the gift of celibacy, which includes probably this whole room. You don't have that gift of celibacy. Not everyone can accept this. And then he says, some are, uh, were born that way. Some were made that way by men. Others have renounced marriage because of the kingdom of heaven. These were these Catholic charismatic friends, Steve Clark. Uh, there were a whole group of them, happy, healthy, young men pursuing God with all they were worth. So I'll, I'll leave, uh, leave that next point. We go to the single life. So, so the single life is a gift from God. These men chose this way of life so they could devote their life to the Lord. I remember being single. You may think that's pretty a, a long time ago, but I do remember it. And I remember that there were things that I could do that I'm not free to do as a married person. And I love my wife. I love being married. And I love the fact that God's given us children and grandchildren. And so I embrace that fully. However, I remember going on a retreat. I've shared this with Karen. I went on a retreat uh, alone to Colorado. And during that time, I memorized the book of Philippians. 
I said it over many times during the day. Thank you. One night when I went to bed, I was so consumed with the Word of God and the presence of God that I felt when I raised my hand that I was almost touching Jesus. And that if I'd gone higher, I might have. And I, I dared not. But there was an intensity of love that I have seldom experienced. I haven't chosen to do that as a married man. Take a week of vacation by myself. I can't do that. There are some things that the single life offers us that I'm urging you to take advantage of as a single person. There are things that you can do that I cannot because I'm a married person and I have... Paul, do you remember that I had a very similar experience? I do remember I that. Changing when I was single. Yes. I just reached out to the Lord and saying, you know, do you see me? Do you, you know, where are you? And it was like as if he was right bringing his arms down, whether it was him or an angel, but, but it was specific that the Lord will meet the specific needs in a way. And, you know, wonderful times of hearing the Lord and just soaking in his presence. It's, you can, it can still happen after you get married. It can, but it's, it's, you're, you're more, more potential for distraction. As a single person, I memorized many books of the Bible. I memorized verses. I started with verses, then I went to chapters, then I went to books. And I went over those books as I ran, spent hours on the trail running and going over those scriptures. And so I say this so that as you're anticipating, mm -hmm. I figured I'd be getting married. But as I was anticipating that, I wanted to take full advantage of what my station in life was. Mm -hmm. And so I urge you not simply be, to be thinking about what's in front of you, a wonderful married life, but to take advantage of that opportunity. Second, it's elevated in history. You have, you have wonderful saints in medieval history who devoted their life to the Lord, who prayed day and night. And they had times of ecstasy where it was as if, as in my case, the Lord was saying, you, you abstain now from sexual relations, but I will give you that kind of ecstasy so that you will, won't even miss it. There are people in medieval times who have spoken of the ecstasies they've experienced as they prayed for days upon end, eight, ten hours a day, and they get so close to the presence of the Lord that, that that's their love life. There, that's replaced their desire for the, the, the physical. It's overwhelmed by the presence of the Lord, the Lord is better. The Lord is better than sexual pleasure. The Lord is higher. The Lord is more wonderful. And so you look to that. It's an opportunity for undivided devotion to the Lord. Let's read that back in 1 Corinthians. It's really a powerful passage. It's in the book. Here's what he says. Verse 32. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how we can please the Lord. And I was. I was serving the Lord. I was happy. And I was drawing into a place of holiness. And I was memorizing the scripture, taking it with me, uh, chapters, uh, putting them away. But the married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. I'm thinking about things as a married man I never thought about as a single man. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But the married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I'm saying this for your good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way. And here it is, bottom line. Say it with me. Undivided devotion 
to the Lord. So I trust that that's true for you in your state right now. I want it to be true for me. Undivided devotion. We pray together. We pray for passion for you, for one another, that your hearts may be given fully, undivided devotion to the Lord. So to both. Then he gives a word right in the center. And it's basically a word, where you are, that's by God's design. That's That's where you are by God's design. Bloom where you're planted. Verse 23, you were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. You're the property of God. God take, God's the owner. He takes good care of what he owns. He owns you. He cares for you. He'll take care of you. And so he, he says, relax where you are. Now, it, that station may change. He says, you may, you're a slave. If you can get your freedom, get your freedom. But that's not the most important thing. Live devoted to the Lord. That's the highest priority. So I'm just going to look down at two conclusions for you or for me, for us. Make more of this single life. Everybody's single before they're married. Some advantages. Here are some advantages of the single life. It offers greater potential for single-mindedness. I look back with real not envy, but uh, real uh, value and joy on my single experience, as does Karen's. It has good historical precedent. The restraint requires, there's a restraint on you. There's a harness on you. It brings solid growth in the Lord. As you say, no, no, no. You're saying, yes, yes, yes to the Lord. No, yes to the Lord. So it's not a negative thing, it's a positive thing. You're saying yes to his love and no to the urge to merge, which we've all been given. The freedom brings flexibility. Most of the powerful missionary movements since the 13th century have been spawned by single young adults. Most of them, not a few of them. That's why I have enjoyed working with young adults, because you lay out a challenge and young adults pick it up. Married people are often not even in the position where they can respond to a challenge. But young people, you lay out a challenge, they say, where do we, we sign up? That's what you've been given. That's what God put in your heart. And so now's the time to go for it, like we did in Wapaka, because those times will change where you will not be available when you get kids and you get demands on your life. I God, go to Wapaka because of my kids. Oh, yeah. 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 So, so there is something that you need to look at now and walk strongly into it as a single person. Uh, it's a privilege. I felt a privilege as a single man, a single pastor, to be able to serve day and night. I put in hours because I had the time. What are some dis- That's true. But it's true. We we were when it, we were together about twice a week, two no, two nights a week as the most. Yeah. service where we laid hands on people at our church. She came to the altar and she was wondering, should I go back to my fellowship? It's not working out here. And Bud Hahn said to you, you're in the right place. Not knowing. Yeah, not knowing. What are some disadvantages, single life? It's not not common as marriage in scripture or society. Now that's changed. I just looked it up yesterday. 51%. 
Being an exception can impose a heavy burden. How many have felt that as a single person, that sometimes you're an exception in, a, in situations, uh, you're in, in social situations or in family situations? You, you, you can feel that. There are times when I, I, I could feel that as a single person. Uh, and, and for some, there's a stigma attached to that, that there can be a shame. Anybody felt shame as a single person? That, that's been placed upon you. It's sad, but it can be. I talked to a, a, a young lady. Well, I have a sister who said, as a single person, I was always asked to bring, and that was our family, always asked to bring the salad plate, the, the, the uh, cut-up carrots, because they figured, well, you're single, you don't cook. What's that all about? Have anybody been embarrassed in ways like that? Because you're, 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 yes, 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 yes. Talk to Karis about that one. Yeah. One other single person said that when her sister got married, although she's older, she felt they respected the younger one who was married more than her, and she was less mature than her married sister because marriage was supposed to bring that about a maturity and she felt second rate sadly not always seen as an honorable state singles must deal with God-given feelings I want to say to you singles forgive people forgive people where they have hurt you for being single there are things that have been done to you that's sad so how does the church help? We understand the hurts and needs. We teach about the single life. I'm teaching it now. This is the first time I've really talked this way in 11 years. I've, I've given little bits of it. Give them meaningful relationships in the church. Seek to take the pressure off. Receive their words and gifts. Give them counsel and practical help. And singles, you, get involved. Be an example of purity of life. Live with contentment and be honest and vulnerable. Let's, let's uh, just take a moment to open up for, if there are questions or comments or you want to make a comment. We won't put this on tape. But uh, are there comments that you'd like to make or questions or concerns? Yeah. Please. Yes, so you're a failure. You're a failure. I wish we had this on tape. I, I'm, I turned it off. But, uh. Oh. That's why he's in charge. <laughs> yeah. You can always delete later if you, if you need to.
already had that like compromising sensation in your throat. Mm-hmm. And after the desires would be like I had recently gone to visit someone and my dad was like, Where's the desire? and um he had a a roommate. I just said, Yeah, I'm having red flags and the the response was more, Well, there's no red flags and I thought, Wow, seriously that he red flags and he was like, mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah. I expect that person I'm not going to the difference in my twenties it was like, You go girl Way to go, way to have like a higher standard or a desire. There's a temptation for those people to just go ahead and go at them. There must be something wrong. And I thought there had to be. And I think to continue to believe those desires of your heart, because those are desires of your heart for a reason. And yeah, just don't don't fall into that trap necessarily thinking that that there's no void and other people may try to just like just get get her get her married, get her married, just get someone or something. But you know what? Desires are desires. You can take yourself before the Lord. You can con- continue to trust Him with that. Mm-hmm. Don't let the that compromising feeling, you know, come in and take away maybe a bit of temptation. Even as you have to go to people in a in a way that has to do with purity and things like that. So powerful, great powerful. Thank, Thank you for that. that. Yeah, that's worth clapping. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Stephen. Uh-huh. And I wonder if I'm actually running into this, but for singles, is it guy to constantly be critical of um, girls and their girls and to be not transparent, to be clean up that issue and have issues and things like that happen? Or is that just me running into something that maybe Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anything can be overdone, but Paul told Thessalonians who were getting pretty spiritual because the Lord was coming, so they were leaning on their hoes, they were backing off. He talked about the value of work, and Martin Luther was asked the question, what will you do if, if, uh, if you knew the Lord was coming uh, t- tomorrow? And he said, well, I'd maybe go chop down a cherry tree. Or, you know. <laughs> In other words, I do what I have to do. I'm continuing to do that with looking to the Lord. But work is honorable in the Bible. Old Testament and New. Work is an honorable thing. It doesn't, it's not meant to come between me and God, but it is meant to be an expression of it. Right in the garden, he gave them work. So work is a blessed thing. And to have work is a wonderful thing. And a man should come home tired at night and hit the bed, and a woman should be tired from what she's called to do. So, yeah. Um, so, I, I, as I'm hearing the different um, things, like the challenges, and how other people come at you with, why aren't you married? Why, why not? We can reply with, we have a God who has blessed us, and we can testify and we can be light in that situation. Yeah. Uh, this is it's coming to me as, I, as I'm thinking about it. It is an opportunity to share the wonders of God. Mm-hmm. It is an opportunity for bringing him glory. Mm-hmm. When people go, what's wrong? You can say, what's right? Yeah, yeah that's very good. good. Yeah. Yeah. You know why I got married? One reason is that my mentor spoke to me and he said, it's time for you to get married. I've talked to people like that. I've said, it's time to get married. And then somebody was trying to whisper to me to to go after this young lady, and someone confirmed it and said 300 people could not be wrong. In other words, they were were already hoping. I did like your voice. And I fell in love with the rest of her. Yeah, Kansas.
jumping around and she just like oh. it was like there was certain things she uh experienced that um just kinda jarred on her. Yeah. So yeah. Good. That's very good. And if couples can can honor that in people and not be worried about it, not, oh, somebody's trying to take my husband from me, but just honor that and embrace it, that will give value to single people who want that, that family life and want that expression. Thank you. That's very good. Yeah. Well, one of the ways Paul said, you know, is if you're burning up inside and that urge to merge almost overtakes you, then you don't have the gift of celibacy. A celibate person is more able to concentrate on the things of the Lord without that being a distraction. That's the one obvious physical thing. There could be others in addition to that. Sure. Is a gift, which means it's good, which means you would want it. If you in your mind, celibacy would be the worst possible gift you could ever think of, it's not a gift to you. Yeah, yeah, that's a period. Yeah. If you want to get married, and if and if and if some at some point you're like, I'm afraid that God has cursed me with the gift of celibacy. And I've had about 50 young adults uh, over the years of my ministry come to me upset, angry, and genuinely terrified. Yeah. That God has given them the gift of celibacy at church. <laughs> and I'm like, I can tell you with 100% certainty that he has not done that. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes they want me to explain it to them. Sometimes they just run away rejoicing. And so <laughs> if, if the idea of celibacy to you sounds awesome, then maybe you do have that. But if it sounds like, ah, that doesn't sound so cool, or if it sounds like that would really destroy your life, then you don't have that. Because your God is good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Andre is rejoicing right now. <laughs> or just finding but that very funny. Even if you don't have the gift of celibacy, it's okay, and you were saying this a minute ago, it's okay to really want to get married, but at the same time, 100% enjoy your singleness while you're yeah. at it. That's very good. And, and, and that's, that's what I would like to see everybody be able to do who wants, yeah, I want to get married. I pray for it daily. I really want to do it. But I am going to completely use my singleness to the glory of God, to the advantage, and enjoy being contented and wanting it really a lot at the same time, which is a wonderful, wonderful balance and life place to live in that some of you have already found and others have become. And learn good habits. That's your, you know, you can exercise good habits of turning to the Lord, getting refreshed and, and soaking in God's word is, because it turns out that when you get married, you don't magically become awesome. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I didn't. <laughs> and my wife let me know. Oh. <laughs> and I wanted to say, too, life is, is life. You're going to have problems, as the Lord said. In this world, you will have troubles. But you know, so you're going to have troubles, married or single. But you know, Not something rainbow? <laughs> no rainbow. Yeah. married and walk through life and have troubles with my spouse rather than being single. That's exactly what Amen Bruce said. And I just wanted to answer Andrew's question. Was I that think your question? That was a great answer. Huh? Because I, I felt like you had a different question. Yeah? Yeah. How do you know Steve. Andy. Okay. Is that when we start to know how it is that God speaks to us, mm-hmm. when 
kind of a general sense about how it is with other things that we can hear God's voice, then we can more easily hear God through all the screaming of the harmonics and all the screaming of all the other rebellions that we have. Do you know what I'm saying? But but what's important, I believe, is to is to work on hearing and and discerning the path from day to day to day to day. Not to leap immediately. There's a Bible verse that says uh, that when we are faithful in small things, mm-hmm. and I'm not talking about just the things that pertain directly to marriage. I'm talking about the smaller, the really small things, like getting up in the morning and going to work and you know doing what really God calls you mm-hmm. to do day by day by day. When I start to learn more and be more obedient to what God is saying to me on an everyday basis, then it's easier for me to hear him speak to me about the big stuff too. Does anyone yeah. know what that's oh, amen. Yeah. But you, you don't want Very to, good. I don't think you necessarily want to leap right away to the really big questions when you've got some other ones that just need to be dealt with. That's very good. That's very good. Yeah, God God usually doesn't answer the one out there. If you're at a place point A, he'll answer a B question because the steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. You may not know until you get over to point D. Yeah, she's the one. He's the one. So it is a faith walk. You know, one very positive thing about what we're doing tonight is that hopefully this keeps this above the surface. Often these kind of talks go below the surface. People are silently suffering rather than able, able to be vulnerable and get their concerns and their failures and other people's failures toward them out. So my hope for this now is that we can come back at this once in a while and say, hey, how are we doing on the subject of marriage and single life and help one another to be strong and to be examples as single people, sold out for the Lord, and then ready for marriage as God grants that. I want to pray over you. We've taken a little more time. I, I finished at 8.30, but then we have, we have this good discussion. So I'm glad for this time together. Now I want to pray and uh, bless you. First of all, I want to say to you that God sees you. God sees you well. He knows how he made you. He made you well. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are a masterpiece. God did expertly with you. You can be proud of who you are. You can be proud of how you look. You can be proud of your of your your body. We're to glorify God with our bodies, it says in uh, the chapter just before this one. And so you have uh, a body. You'll have a body in heaven. You will be you in heaven. You will look like you. You are you for all eternity. Jesus has scars on his hands. Yet he walked through doors. Talk that there's no physical way to explain that. But we will be who we are in heaven with glorified bodies. So you can love yourself. You are women, you are beautiful. Guys, you are handsome. I love what Mark Herringshaw said at a conference. He said, Everyone is beautiful to somebody. Everyone is handsome to somebody. So everybody has an opportunity for marital love, if that that is what God calls you to. And so I ask you now to forgive those who have hurt you. Do not become a victim. Victims, whatever their natural beauty, are not beautiful because they live with what could have been and isn't. They live in the past rather than the future. You are not a victim. God has good plans for you. Victims say, if only. They say, if only this hadn't happened. If only this 
only I'd married this person, if only this situation worked out. You don't have to think that way. God's got a good plan. He's got a wonderful plan that he's working out in your life. And if you messed it up, you don't have to go to plan B because forgiveness erases that and you get right in. In fact, sin, the Bible says that where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. And so there's just grace upon grace, especially in this area. So uh, I say to you, forgive those who have hurt you. You might want to do it right now. As a single person, are there people that have stuck it to you in a way that was unkind? You're more beautiful when you're, you live a forgiven life and a forgiving life. So forgive people who have disappointed you. We don't forgive God, but we say, God, I'm, I'm sorry I came against you on this one. If you're angry with God, it's okay to say, I'm angry, I'm upset, this was hard. You let me down here, and then let God heal you. Elizabeth was a barren woman, and she had that mark on her life. Much shame, but then God lifted the shame, gave her a child, John the Baptist, and the shame was lifted, and she lived, she fulfilled her destiny. She had to forgive neighbors. So forgive people tonight. Forgive people. You may have to forgive your parents. You may have to forgive siblings. You may have to give, forgive people close to you. So you want to be a clear stream. Let that stream flow. I speak healing. I speak, I speak forgiveness through you to others. And you can flow in the Spirit. I bless you with life in the Spirit. I bless you with being full of the Spirit and walking in the Spirit in this season. And this season can be a wonderful season where you look back with no regrets, only thanksgiving to God. And I say, well, I do have regrets because I've sinned, I've failed. God erases those as far as the east is from the west. And it gives you strength. And so you don't have to live with regret. You can live with remembrance, but not with regret. So, I bless you with the peace of the Lord. I bless you with a rest in him. A rest. It says, I, I'm receiving from Jesus all that I need to function in my life now and look forward to what he has to, for me tomorrow and the next day and the next week and the next month. I'm trusting in him for only good things. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord look upon you with his favor and grant you his peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.